My name is Michael Levin, and my company is Business Ghost. I'm asking for $200,000 in exchange for 10% of the company. I'm a writer. In fact, I've done more than 100 books. My work has been made into TV shows and movies and has appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm a ghostwriter. I help people tell their stories. My clients include some of the top CEOs in America, major sports figures, top broadcasters and celebrities. Whatever you're doing right now, I need you to stop what you're doing. I need you to give some super claps to our guest, Super Michael Levin. Woo! Welcome, Michael. <laughs> Thank you, you Super Joe. It's great to be here. I'm honored to be on, on the podcast. Thank you, for, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you are so welcome. I'm glad we were able to finally make it work. It's been a couple of months, I think, of back and forth. Uh, I think I rescheduled and you rescheduled or you rescheduled and I rescheduled. But here we are like yeah. 10 days before Christmas or something like that. And uh, we're getting it in. So, uh, Michael, let's start out. Uh, what did you know what Shark Tank? I mean, because this is season three, beginning of season three. So only two seasons had aired prior. Did you know what Shark Tank was? Did you watch it at all prior to uh, even potentially getting to maybe know that you would get to go on the show? Joe, I knew nothing about Shark Tank. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> That's the honest truth. The, uh, I, was, I, I ghostwrite books for a living. That's the service that you're referring to. Uh, a lot, not all celebrities. Some celebrities, sports figures, but mostly business people, consultants, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and so on. And I was interviewing the executive producer of, of uh, Shark Tank, the client's book, which was a book with David Fishoff, who created the rock and roll fantasy camp. And uh, so, we, so he had me interview uh, the, the executive producer or the then executive producer. And then I had never seen the show. As, as you know, we were talking about kids earlier. I have four kids and they were little at the time. So, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of TV viewing in back then trying to figure out how old they were, but they were, you know, eight, six, six, and one or something like that. So the night before the interview, I watched a couple of the shows and I was like, wow, these, these, these entrepreneurs are really interesting. And then in the interview, he starts telling me about all these incredible entrepreneurs who come on the show. And one of them, you know, these two guys on Capitol Hill who make chili and just, you know, one after the next and they're all fascinating. And I was feeling really less than, during the interview, because like, man, my job is so boring compared to these cool people and they're getting funding and everything else. About 40 minutes into the interview, he says, let me turn this around. Have you ever thought about applying for our show? And I just couldn't believe that I'd heard that. And I looked at my assistant who's sitting there like, did you hear that? And, and, and she's like, yeah, he said that. And I said, to be honest, no, I don't think my business is sexy enough. It's me sitting in a room and typing. He said, I disagree. I think your business is very sexy and I want you to apply for the show. So, you know, with, with the, I, you know, when the executive producer wants you to apply for the show, you know, you really better foul it up big time uh, if, you're, if you don't want to get on it. And uh, so I went through all the things and the application and the financials and the videos and, you know, all the hoops and the interviews. And, you know, sure enough, um, I think that year, Joe, you'd know better than I, I think about 30,000 people applied for the show, 30, 35,000 entrepreneurs, and they taped 110. They taped them all over Labor Day weekend. You and your, you know, your viewers know that. And then of the 110, only 35 air. So I considered myself unbelievably lucky to have sort of run that gauntlet and made it from, you know, that interview uh, with the executive producer to actually going into the tank and getting on the air. 
Look, everything happens for a reason, including this a little <laughs> aside story I'm about to tell you. That because that to go along with what you just said, but when you were saying this, you know, two seasons uh, or or you know maybe not even a full two seasons had aired at the time in which you're having a conversation with the executive producer. Which, by the way, uh, one of the uh, last couple of interviews I had, somebody had the one of the executive uh, other. I, I don't know if it was that one or a different. They didn't say a name. Um, had a, a different executive producer reach out and said, I love your business. You need to apply. And I can't promise that you're going to be on the show or anything, but right. you need to apply. And it's like when the executive producer is telling you that, you know, that's why I ding the bell. You know, it's like, hey, you should listen. But I was having a conversation. I was at our, our company Christmas party um, just this weekend. And I was ha- somebody asked him, like, oh, Joe, like, how's the podcast going? I was like, oh, you know, it's it's going really well. And Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I do the Shark Tank reaction videos, been interviewing these things. We talked for a good 10 minutes before I realized that he had no idea what Shark Tank was. He he thought I was literally talking about a tank full of sharks. And his wife turns to him and says, you don't know what Shark Tank is? And I'm like, I'm like, no wonder you kind of have like a blank stare of like, I'm talking about these entrepreneurs and like all these different stories and things. And you're just like. Like trying to probably connect it to how does that have anything to do with a tank full of sharks? That's so funny. I mean, today it's iconic and everybody knows it and kids watch it and so and they're you know fourteen mini seasons in, <laughs> he still doesn't know. Well, you know, I mean, maybe he's got little kids too. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. I'm not going there. But so. Okay, so you get this, uh, you you get this, uh, well, even just to have that opportunity, I mean, that's, that's something, you know, um, just that, well, let's start there, to have that opportunity to get to interview uh, people, I, I mean, I always say, think it's a, it's a, it's a huge, like, blessing, right, you get to make connections, and uh, grow relationships, and friendships, and networking opportunities, and if nothing else, you get to learn about the other person, right? You get to, to, to share from their stories and things that maybe never get written about. You get to ha- – you like because there's things that I'm sure – tons of stories that you have that never got written about, never made it into one of your books, right? <laughs> yep, and I'm not telling them now either. I well, mean, the, the short not of asking. It, yeah, the short of it – no. I mean the short of it is that it's a very trust-based relationship when you have a ghostwriter because – you're, you know, you're really opening the kimono and you're, 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 you're telling them stuff that's business, that's personal. Um, a lot of the books that I do are memoirs. A lot of them are extremely personal in nature. And so people are telling me things that they might not have told their spouses or their therapists or anything like that. And I have an obligation, obviously, to take that to the grave. So there will never be a book about the secrets I learned while ghostwriting because um, I couldn't live myself if I did that, and uh, I'd either get sued or killed. Both. So, you know, I mean, this stuff. A lot of it really is. Uh, sometimes it's it's just what I advise clients not to put in the book, and they look at like, well, why not? And then you go, all right, let's figure out a way to uh, you know introduce this person to reality. And sometimes the thing is that when people, we all know this. There's sort of a velvet rope class in our society people are such huge vips that the normal rules just don't apply and they're so used to that and when they get in legal trouble you know somebody makes it go away when they get in reputational trouble they bring in a squad of publicists and the whole thing vanishes and uh, people forget that there that, that actions do have consequences here in the real world and that if they say something about themselves that 
uh, that people shouldn't really know, but uh, because it betrays a confidence or a family relationship or something like that, there will be serious consequences. So my role is sometimes more like conciliary than, uh, you know, I mean, I remember sitting down with an executive who is uh, uh, one of the top media executives in the country in his uh, office on top of his massive media operation and explaining to him why he should not put a particular life event into the book. And I'm not going to get more specific than that. And he looked at me as if I had two heads and, and finally I was able to prevail um, and that's why uh, I'm the only one who knows the story. So sometimes it's it's really not about what you put in the book. It's about what you convince the client to leave out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, being a filter, I think, is important. I think that's a really uh, edu- – well, I, don't, uh, I guess educated is a word. I don't know if it's the only word I would use to describe it. But I think that's a really um, – I guess that I guess that's the difference between being a ghostwriter and a journalist. Because journalists would be like, "Oh yeah, heck yeah, you told me that story. Like, we're, <laughs> we're going right. I won't even name names. Like we're just going to put it out there, and people will totally figure this out, right? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Versus, you know, like yeah, we should filter. We don't need to put all the details of that, or or even mention that in the book for everybody else. Maybe it's everybody else's sake, not just your own. Yeah, I mean, sometimes publicists bring me in as part of the the uh, the uh, uh, the cleanup operation for somebody's uh, reputation when they did something bad in public, and then they'll bring me in to help write a book about you know about this person and let's let's clean up their let's let's clean up their reputation. I mean, I'm not going to do that for a bad guy, and the people I've worked with are uh, in those situations. And there have been a few; they're good people who kind of made a mistake, and in the and, and in today's social media world, you know, you pay for it big time and quickly. So, but, but by and large, um, you know, by and large, the people I work with are not, you know, are not in that category. I'm talking about 99% of the books I do. They're business people who are looking for branding or, or marketing uh, or uh, sales uh, or getting an idea out there or just simply introducing themselves to the business community uh, where they live so that they can be taken more seriously. So those are the, you know, and they're not doing it to sell copies of books. It's very hard to sell copies of books today because most people don't read books. It's very hard to find a bookstore. I mean, everybody's got Amazon, but most people don't buy books on Amazon. They buy other stuff. Uh, Even back in the day when Borders books existed, uh, you know, 20, 25 years ago, the CEO came out in the New York Times and said, you know, uh, we sell 100 to 150,000 different books in our stores, but we really only sell about 500. The rest are wallpaper. So, you know, it's not about selling. And I, and I have to tell this to, you know, prospective clients all the time. You're not going to make your money back selling copies of books in 99% of the cases. It's about what, you know, what's the business purpose for the book? What's this going to do for you? Are you going to get your financial advisor? You're going to get more money uh, to invest for your clients or you're going to, if you're a, if you're a, a business person, you're rolling up businesses or people going to take you more seriously or invest with you or whatever. So that's that's the real payoff from a book. It's the stature. It's the branding. Uh, it's the authority that you receive as opposed to book sales. I talk a lot about books. So if I talk too much, Joe, you got to jump. You got to come. No, this no, this. I mean, what, take heed of what he's saying is somebody has written four books. I can tell you. It's not a. It's not a necessarily a a short term win. 
Um, with that said, I do know somebody who's in that 1%, uh, my good friend, Dr. Jeffrey Barnes, who wrote a book about uh, the wisdom of Walt. And um, his, uh, the people who printed his book were astonished when he ordered a second pallet of books, like very quickly after the first oh. pallet. Yeah, yeah. Well, he lives in South California, Southern California, right? And he um he's a uh, histor, you know, his history teacher who was teaching lessons on the history of Disneyland and giving talks at at, at like um uh set, like uh event um uh, conferences and such, right? Like uh co- like corporate conferences all like in Southern California where everybody has a connection to Disneyland. So it's like, Oh, he's speaking about Disneyland. Like, yeah, I'm buying six copies of the books and giving it to like everybody I know. Um, you know, so it's like, that's, but that's not necessarily, that's him writing about Walt uh, from a historical aspect, but putting his story, you know, his, his t- story in that book, right. Not, and, and how it ties to Walt, not necessarily his story, about climbing the corporate ladder or becoming the best blah, 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 you know? So, um, I think when you, when you go to write that, like there's always say there's two ways to do it, right? You could like build your own star or hit your wagon to somebody else's star. So that people like, Oh, I know, I know Walt Disney and this is a book about and uh, history. And the guy like is a historian and teaches the only class in like, I think the wow. world about Disneyland, like, heck yeah. Like let's go. Right. Yes. So like, Synergy makes sense. Synergy sells books, not necessarily just your story, but it does sell authority. It does sell um, accomplishment that, you know, to have to be able to say, hey, I've, I've written a book. I've written four books. I've written, you know, uh, and and having it to be able to get like uh, we talked about, you know, you talked about it with uh, the sharks and we'll get into the tank a little bit in a little bit. But, uh, you know, it being a, a form of a business card and something that I think. Look, but you're you're right. Books don't sell, right? And and it's 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 funny that Borders would say the the president of Borders would say that because um, since they're no longer in business anymore. And if I had to guess, Barnes and Noble majority of their business is actually textbooks at this point, not the and maybe board games and other things than actual books. I'll, I'll tell you a story about Barnes and Noble. They've been, they've been shrinking their stores at the rate of about ten percent a year for years. So and. Uh, they, they keep nearly selling their stores to QVC, so you could just buy, like, junk and trinkets and whatever. Um, and then they keep not doing it. And one time I wrote, a, I wrote an article, and it got published in some obscure thing down in South Florida. I don't even remember the name of the journal, but it's nothing you've ever heard of. And nothing I'd ever heard of. They picked it up. It was about how it's really hard to find a book in Barnes & Noble. Because once you go in, you got to get past the Nook display and the umbrellas and the chocolates and the magazines and the toys and the bears and, you know, the notebooks and, you know, all the stuff that they sell in addition. And like trying to actually find a book is really hard. So I got an email from the CEO of Barnes & Noble disputing my article. Wow, two two bells for that. And, And I was like, I was just appalled that this guy took the time to email me and complain. It's like, he's the CEO of a major company. This is an obscure thing, right? And no one's ever heard of me. And, and so I, I wrote him and I said, I'd love to talk with you about this. So he said, okay. And I, got, and, I, and, I, and I got on a call with him and his marketing person. And the guy just tried to take me apart for writing this article. We have plenty of books in Barnes and Noble. And, and I, could, I could hear the marketer you know, on the call, the PR person going, oh, <laughs> you know, shut up. <laughs> 
<laughs> and finally, I, you know, it was so discouraging that I just said, look, I really appreciate your time. And I, you know, I had ideas. I was going to say, why don't I be a brand ambassador for you and bring it? And then I just thought, you know, I, I don't want any part of this. This is nuts. So, you know, I used to love to, Barnes and Noble had a store I mean, back in the day in Manhattan, like 17th Street and 5th Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was the best used bookstore in the world. And you, you could spend your whole life in there just finding stuff. And, you know, that closed. And I always say, like, everything pays rent, right? Everything in because in, in, you're paying rent for the square footage, right? So you got to put things that actually pay the rent for the space in which they are taking up. Yeah. And they're all high rent districts. You know, they're not putting them in like warehouse districts. Um, it's, it's very expensive and it, you got to sell a lot of books and a lot of other high profit items to, to be able to make it work, you know? Sure. And um, that's why I, 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 if I had to guess uh, a lot of their books are probably textbooks that they're selling, like collectively, in the business because they have a captive market uh, with that. Right. And not everything can be done on an iPad, even though it probably should be for the earth's sake. And for a lot of sakes, uh, not everything can be done in the, on an iPad. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's fascinating that they, that they've been able to even survive this long. Hey, if we talk about them enough, maybe I'll get a phone call too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, he's probably, you know, just, he's, uh, he's, he's dialing you right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing. I mean, I drive by the, they have massive stores in really great locations. Yep. Right? And, and, you know, and you go, who's, who's buying books? You know, who's buying books today? And I, I you know, I mean, I, mean, I, but, I was, but, I went in there in the, the Cherry Hill, New Jersey location. And I, I want to say I came out with like $100 worth of stuff. But that was the first time I had been in a Barnes and Noble. In like probably the last one I, I did, I did a book signing, and that was probably in 2016, 2015, something like that. So it's been it's been, it's been quite a few few years since I've been in the Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Uh, and no, that's not true. You know, no, that's not totally true. I, I think I I've been in one or two since then, but I don't think I spent as much. Like, and they were all for kids' books, so it wasn't even you know, which is different than like let's forgot the iPad and get more screen time in uh situation so i mean we have a lot of books for kids and that's i mean i personally don't really read um because i'm a very slow reader i'm one of those like i have to read every single word um and it it's i don't have the patience for it all the time but uh but so so anyway um man what what got us on the barnes and noble thing um I don't know. I hope I didn't take us down a rabbit hole. No, no. It's, that's what podcasts are for. It wouldn't be oh, a podcast if it wasn't a, was some thinking, kind of rabbit hole. Listen to this kind of nonsense when, but uh, no. I mean, it's you know. I, I mean, I love talking about books, and I get I get obsessed, and I I, I, I can get a little wordy. So um, no, it, it's okay. It's a, that's the point. Back. back from the brink. All right. So uh, so you so you uh, apply. Um, so at the time, I guess the day. Did, did they? They probably. I mean, they probably didn't have the process in place that they have now. So did, was it as much? Was well? Do you know? Like now, it's a lot of paperwork. Like a lot, a lot, a lot of paperwork, um, and a lot of like back and forth discussions with producers and like you know, practicing the pitch and showing the pitch and tweaking the pitch and all that stuff. Like, was the process back then similar to that, or was no, it more like show up and do your thing and then no, we'll no, figure no, it out? Was- there wasn't a ton of paperwork. There was some, you know, just describing your business and your financials and what you do and so on. 
Um, and then there was a ton of time, you know, uh, writing and rewriting and practicing the pitch. And that was actually one of the most unique experiences of my life. Not so much being in the tank, but just before, you know, you're on the Sony lot in, in we're at Culver City, California. And um, I'm out there with my line producer and we're standing right outside. And he says, OK, shout your pitch as loud as you can. It'll just kind of calm you down. It'll just take your nerves away. We do. And so I'm standing out there, you know, between two sound stages on a movie lot in Los Angeles going, my name is Michael Levin, my company is business. And I'm just laughing. It's like, this is the most absurd thing I've ever done in my life. Stand between two sound stages you know, and, and, and yell about my business. But uh, it certainly calmed my nerves down. So, you know, it was fun. Oh, I, I, I've never heard that before. Uh, that's a... Maybe it was oh, just me. Fascinating. Like, <laughs> they were like, hey, yo, you know what I can do? I can make this guy go over this there. Guy's and make a we got to settle him down. Put him outside. Have him shout his pitch. That'll calm him down. Yeah, I got five bucks. He won't do it. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I did it and it was fun. So, And that's, you know what? If you're not having fun, then you're not trying hard enough. And you're, you need, you got to be having fun with whatever you're doing. Um, and. So, do other people talk to you about the fact that after you get onto the carpet, once you're in there, mm-hmm. stand there for two minutes while they get the lighting and the sound right, and you're kind of looking at the sharks, sharks are kind of looking at you, and it's just uh, it's a very long two or three minutes, I'll tell you that. So, so I think it's shorter now than it, it than it used to be because I've heard any like newer people that have been on the show more recently is like thirty seconds. It's like the longest thirty seconds of our life. Uh, yeah. But maybe it is like two minutes for them, and they just don't realize that you it's still no, two you minutes. You have no concept of time when you're in there. You have no concept of time. That's for so sure. You're in a casino. I mean. <laughs> yes. That's it. You're not playing with the houses money. You're not playing with any money. But, uh, yeah, you just, you just don't know if you were in there for 15 minutes or, or an hour and a half. That's absolutely true. Mm. It's a blur. It's such a, Especially when three or four or five of them are shouting at once and you want to answer all of their questions. You know, that's when it's really – that's when it's, you know, that, that's a traffic management skill is uh, it's really hard. I mean, I, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. So one of the things they do in law school is that is you have moot court where you go in and you prepare a case as if you're going to argue it. And then they bring in judges and lawyers from the community, just like grad graduates of that law school. And they and uh, so, you're, 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 you know, you're arguing to a three judge panel and their whole thing is that they're going to interrupt you like after the first syllable and just constantly interrupt you just because that's going to happen in court. So they really hammer you. And you get the skill of saying, I'm so glad you asked that because that was my very next point. <laughs> so so it kind of reminded me of being in moot court in law school when I get when I got through when, you know, when they were all hammering me with questions, which was kind of fun. Well, that's the that's the classic way to uh, to like give yourself a, a pause to think. Right. Like that's a great question. You know, whether it's a great question or not a great question, it's like I I, I just bought myself like five more seconds to think how the first syllable is going to come out. When you're thinking, you're a moron. How did you get rich? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's not true. I did not feel that way at all about it. I was, I I, I was, you know, they're all they're 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 all remarkable people. There's no question about that. They they are that they are. so, so preparing, uh, how did you, how did you go about figuring out your valuation at the time? I mean, it's all, it was all smoke and mirrors. Uh, the first thing is that I don't need money. I mean, I, I, I sold that company. I've started a second one and I, I, and I continue to ghostwrite and neither company needs investment. So 
you know, I was going in there to win a prize that, you know, that I don't need. It's like, if you go on a game show, you win money. Great. You can always use money, but you know, I don't really need investors. So I, I guess we just looked at what my income was and, you know, make it, uh, made a three X valuation and said, okay, this, I, I'm just guessing it the way we did it. And then just came up with numbers. I have some, I have some real estate friends who are very successful clients and friends. And so, you know, just really smart business guys. And I sat down with them and said, how do we do this? And, just came up with a figure and that's that's how we came up with it and how did you how did you balance all of that with uh four kids four young kids at the time like you know and and still writing your books you know and and working with clients and doing interviews like i i know it's a gauntlet man and especially with having young kids yeah no it's no joke we had uh we, you know, we had our first baby and then we had twins less than two years later, like three days shy of two years later. Wow. So we had, two, you know, we had three in diapers, three under two years of age, three under three, three under four. Then we threw in a fourth one just because we weren't, you know, like once you go from man to zone, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> once you go from man coverage to zone coverage with babies, it's just, you know, but the, I mean, the, 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 the short of it is that, I, I mean, I always had an office out of the home. And I really recommend this to entrepreneurs. Don't work from the house. I mean, especially since COVID, everybody's working from home. Get a space in the co-working space. Pay the thousand a month or whatever it is and get out of your house because I never felt good about saying to my kids, Daddy, can I play with you now? You know, there's something more important than you in my life. And, you know, oh, you like that. Oh, so, yeah. So so that was that was that was critical. And then, you know, um, when I'm home, I'm home and I try not to be working and i try to i mean it's so hard you know work-life balance when your entire office is on your phone and you, you know you could be climbing machu picchu and uh and get a text or something like that so so you know work-life balance is almost a joke today but you have to fight for it you really have to fight for it today and uh you know when you're home you're home and then you can be with your kids 100 percent you're in your spouse uh and then when then when i'm at work i'm at work and uh you know uh i i, I I mean, I take my wife's call. They say your wife is, or your spouse is your most important client. So I would always either call, I would always either say to the client, hey, my wife's calling, call you right back. Or, um, or you know, I'd hit her with a text and say, I'll call you in 15 or whatever. Um, but aside from that, you know, you just, you just try not to let one thing bleed over into the other. So that, that way you can be responsible to your work when you're working and you can be responsible to your family when you're home. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, also, I mean, the costs of raising kids uh, and four kids, I mean, you know, my my financial uh, survival, my long term, my long term financial plan was to go to the gym, get on the treadmill, set it at 20, go flying off the back and die. And then my wife gets the insurance money. <laughs> so, you know, at the time, that was my, my best financial plan because, <laughs> you know, it's like, how am I going to make this money? And then you know, my mom used to say babies bring their own luck. And uh, um, I mean, the good thing about having responsibilities is that it forces you to up your game. And, you know, you were talking about Disney before. Disney has a thing called the Disney Institute. They actually offer mm-hmm. courses at Disneyland and probably Disney World on customer service and employee retention and things like that. I, I went to all those courses and I went to Sandler for sales training. I went to, you know, for years to strategic coach to learn how to be a better entrepreneur and I studied marketing and I studied, you know, all the disciplines of running a business, just read book after book after book, seminar after seminar, Tony Robbins, you know, you name it. And uh, because I didn't know any of that stuff, I was, 
I mean, I'm a good writer, but the thing is that you can be good at anything and that does not make you automatically an entrepreneur. Uh, Michael Gerber created the E-Myth. It's one of the most popular, uh, most successful brands in all of uh, small business books. He sold 5 million books over the decades. He says that uh, uh, you can be a technician, being good at something, having an entrepreneurial seizure where you think, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You're not. And then you have to go out and learn all that stuff. And uh, I did to the best of my ability. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm continuing to go to seminars and read books and read the books I read before and watch the videos and just, you know, try to get better, try to, you know, try to keep getting better. So that's, that, that's it. But the main thing is with the kids is, uh, you know, uh, just like swallow hard, go to work, make the money, do your best. And then, uh, you know, and then come home and collapse and, and then, you know, and then be daddy. So. so a couple of things uh the disney institute actually they do traveling too so you can i know right before covid uh they 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 were supposed to be doing something like in my backyard uh down here in south jersey and then they you know obviously they canceled it uh when march 2020 rolled around um but they do try they do have traveling courses and things so it is one of those things you can do and uh what you said about the kids bring the luck um you know, I I think that to me, the way I I read that is, it's not just about them them bringing luck. I think it's a combination of what you said about you know stepping up and and owning that responsibility, but it's also I think a um, I don't want to say sympathy because it's not sympathy, but it's like you're in a club, right? And other people get that club, you know. Until you have that, it's like you don't have skin in the game of like. Yeah. Those those responsibilities, and you're like, oh, okay, so you're a parent, and you're trying to do all this stuff, and you're trying to make it work. You know, you're going to get more breaks your way, especially if you're doing the work to be in the position to get those breaks in the first place, right? So I I think that it's a combination of like, you know, luck as well as the responsibility, uh, and and also just you know being in that club, right? And and. Yeah. And, and and trying your best to make it work. I mean, I I, I what you said about like I, I mean I I hate breaking my kid's heart. Um something I, I would love to do if there was one closer, this is the problem with where I live, there's not like a co working space that's relatively close. And I could go to the shop and I you know, I have my own office there, but it doesn't look like this office. You know, well this office is a little little messy because we got some Christmas stuff going on in the background, but um you know, it it doesn't look like that and it doesn't uh, it's like 15 minutes each way. So it's, a, it's now it's a 30 minute commitment to do whatever, I, whatever, whatever time I'm going to spend there. I got to go and do that. Right. So, uh, it's, it, so it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, uh, it's tough and, and making those decisions and having to break my kid's heart from time to time, uh, does, you know, it hurts. I try my best not to, um, but they're also pretty understanding that they, they know that daddy makes YouTube videos and stuff and they think it's actually pretty cool when they do videos with me sometimes and, and things like that. So we, we try to, sh- I try to share in the, um, in the experience of what I'm getting to experience, even if they're not always in here. And if they came in, it, I mean, if my kids have come in plenty of times, as long as they have pants on, I'm, you know, it's a good time and we're not live streaming. So as long as we have pants on, it's really. Well, I mean, you can't tell if I'm wearing pants. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. It's. I mean, yeah. I am. You can see I'm wearing pants today, but. Yeah. <laughs> the record, I am as well. 
<laughs> but um, but you know, it's it, it is it is a tough balancing act, and uh, and and that's one of the things. Like I, I always I'm trying to make basically anything that's available to the kids. I'm making sure that I'm there for those things, taking the kids to the things and all that, so that I don't feel as guilty when like I have to do this interview right like the kids are baking right now with my wife which is awesome like i would would i love to be in there yeah it'd be great not that big into baking or cooking or anything like that but just to get the share in that with them would be cool um and i have and i will but i i have scheduled things too so um so yeah, it, it, it is a tough balancing act though it, it, it is and at the same time you know the kids are going to get to a point where they realize that their parents are supposed to have lives that are separate from theirs and uh, and they 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 accept that and they appreciate that and they want a little time away from you or at least from me. So I'll speak for myself. But I want to I want to share with you one thing that I got from a Tony Robbins. Uh, you know, some audio. It was like a throwaway line. It was he was talking about something else, and he said, and this is something that I've done, and I I'm so glad. I heard this in 2007, so this is 15, uh, 15 almost 16 years ago. And my 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 youngest was born in 2000, and my I'm sorry, my oldest 2000, my youngest 2008. So he said, create a file on your laptop called Magic Moments. And then anytime anything really cute happens with your little kids, like they say something, you go somewhere, add it, write it down, just write a line about it. And I thought, that's great. And I've done that, you know, uh, there are a lot of things I haven't done religiously for including religion for the last, you know, 17 years, but that I've done religiously. And Mm -hmm. it's 23 single space, 24 single space pages long now. Sometimes we just... You know, we all sit around and we just read it. You know, we'll read stuff from when they were little and they're just in hysterics. And the thing is that what Tony said is if you don't do it, it's going to go right down the memory hole. And it's really, really true. And yeah. the, the other the other piece of parenting uh, guidance that I got that I that, I, you know, that not and this isn't a parenting thing, but it's if your kid is at a, um, you know, at an assembly or a school play or a choir thing when they're little. Don't bring your camera, you know, don't because these things look like press conferences. Every parent has a device. In front of and first of all, you're never going to watch it. And second, you're not even there. You know, you're not even present. There's a device between you and the event. Just be there. And so, you know, my wife took all the videos and the still photography. And, you know, I could get I could get videos and stills from anybody, any of the other parents at these events. Uh, but I got to be there and I got to really just watch my child. And, uh, you know, that's more precious to me. I've got a billion photographs of them from, you know, from every phase of their life. I mean, our kids are the most photographed generation in human history. So the fact that I don't have stuff from the fourth grade play doesn't bother me in the least because I got to be there. So that's my parenting thought for the day, Joe. Yeah. You know, as I get to go to my first uh, child's first grade uh, uh, musical thing on Friday, Friday. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so, so it's, it's weird, right? Because I, so I, I used to vlog and I did like a a hundred day vlog where I was like filming myself every day. I always had like my, one of my cameras, like right there with a, with a small tripod and like the ability to do it. I mean, the way I try to do it is I, I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to glance down and like, like, so it's there and it's filming, but I'm not like doing like this right it's it's more like i hold i'm holding it off to the side and i'm just very good at like holding it still 
Um, with that said, I'm I'm using cameras that most parents would you know wouldn't even know how to operate <laughs> versus like a camcorder okay. or even their cell phone. But yeah, I, I do agree that you know putting that device um, first, I think is is a is a mistake because you only get to see the life through the lens. And um, I know one of the YouTubers I watch, Sarah Poland, talked about his mom because his mom was that person. She was the one that always had the camera in, in the in the hand. Or and I've heard other dads talk about being like i only got to see life through the lens because i'm recording it versus like living it and being a part of it and that's um i've gotten very you know i'm pretty used to like being able to set the camera up in like one spot and having a wide angle so it's like yeah is it the closest like up shot close thing no i have pictures for that right i have memory for that but i have uh an opportunity to like capture the room and like what happened um, without ha- and, and being more in that moment than like worrying about like holding the camera and pointing. I remember that, that that reminds me. I remember being probably like eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old, and probably like eighteen years old. And I was asked to hold the camcorder for like Christmas morning or something like oh. that. And I remember getting really depressed. <laughs> Cause I'm like, wow, like I'm literally watching the video that like, we're all going to be sitting around watching when all these people are dead, like, and maybe wow. not even that long from then. Um, you know, yeah, cause that's a very disturbing. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm a complicated, <laughs> I'm a complicated I'm person. To you, Joe. <laughs> it's, it's, well, you know, sentiment, it's sentiment, uh, sentimental, you know, like, um, but I love the idea of documenting and, and things like that. But I do, I do agree. Like, or you get you, you get to be the person that shows up the wedding and they got their iPad out and they're like blocking people behind. It's almost like holding a sign up. You're blocking the view of the people behind you holding up this iPad <laughs> to take a video of the couple dancing or something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's somehow related to fear. Just you know, just what you're talking about the the, the fear that uh, you're going to miss out, or the fear that uh, you're going to miss something, or the fear that time is going to pass. Or- I don't know what, but yeah, I I, I do think that there's some sort of connection between like trying to hold on to that moment instead of just being with it and letting it flow and experiencing it. I'm not the most Zen guy in the world, but I Mm -hmm. I never had a camera up in those, in in those events. And I think for the kids, you know, I'm looking for a phone on my desk. I just have a calculator. It's like (laughs) all the parents look like that. It's like, you're a kid. It's, It's kind of intimidating. You know, you're just trying to sing tis the gift to be thankful or whatever the song is. And, 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 you know, and it looks like it's going to go on, uh, you know, on, on, on some TV show somewhere. So, well, know. hey, you never know whose kid's going to be the famous kid and they need the video to, to be showing on TV later. And then the last thing you want your kid to be is the famous kid. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. That's, uh, I mean, you know, just uh, you might as well just make all the drug rehab appointments right now. And because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, uh, you know, in the news this week, uh, LeBron James's son is 15. And there's, you know, and he just announced his NIL deal and where he's committing and something like that. And it's all the stuff about him being a superstar. Oh, my God. When you're 15, you know, what you really ought to be doing is having acne, staring at girls or, you know, like, you know, or, or just but not being a superstar. It's too soon. So, I'm, you know, I'm glad that my kids, um, you know, we're not famous. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's it's. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, I work with a lot of celebrities and, and, and I, I lived in L.A. for a very long time. And I knew a lot of these people who had been huge, huge child stars or, you know, as, in, in their in their early ages or in adolescence or as teenagers. And it seldom ends well. 
you know, so I don't know. I don't even know why I said that. I don't even know why I got on that tangent, but uh, no, well, I, you know, cause I said, cause I said that like, you know, somebody's going to need the film for like 10, 15 years or later. Like, Oh, who was, you know, uh, yeah. you know, for like a five second clip of them singing at the, uh, at their first grade yeah. concert. Right. And, and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, actually, I, I'm watching super, super off the rails. Um, it, watching the the Selena Gomez documentary, and it's it's, you know, I I know like my one friend's not. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a fan for like for the word of fan, but I I'm always interested in hearing stories. So I want to hear as much you know input on these types of things, and um, and I think that you know it's 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 heartbreaking. I mean that that so many. I mean, like I don't know how many like celebrities died by 27. That's the yeah. yeah that's the, sort of the magic that's, number. Yeah, yeah. The well, I don't know magic the right word, but but it is a not the doom the doomsday number. The tragic number. Jimmy yeah, Henry, tragic number. You know, Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain, you know, uh, uh, Amy Winehouse. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, there's a there's a I mean there's I think there's a lot there's a lot more than just the couple that we've just mentioned, but uh, yeah. Uh, oh, did the the Doors guy did he die twenty seven? I don't know Jim Morrison. I probably right around there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. So I, it's not necessarily like it's it's hard like finding that that balance of uh, keeping keeping your foot in reality in some form of a of a real reality, not like some alternate universe well, reality. Yeah, I mean, as hard as reality is, it's better than it's better than the alternate stuff, the alternate realities. I, I, you know, uh, I. I don't even know where I, I get flooded. I just, you know, just think about this because, you know, you, you don't want to live through your, you don't want you, you, you know, you don't want to live vicariously through your kid. It's a terrible burden to put on your kid. And that's why it's just so important to, you know, to identify your own dream and follow that. And, you know, I'm a lot of things. I'm a vegetarian. I don't care what people eat. You know, I have my political views. I'm never going to convince anybody of anything. Same thing with religion, I, you know, but I'm, 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 I'm just a, a, a militant for entrepreneurism. I'm militant for entrepreneurship. I'm militant for people who, you know, are, are following their own dreams, creating businesses, creating jobs, creating livelihoods for other people, getting, you know, getting great results for people, uh, and then and then just, you know, living great lives themselves. I'm all about that. I'm all about that. And uh, I just think, you know, figure out your own dream, live your own dream, and then, you know, with my kids, my attitude has been, um, my job is just to open the door and get out of the way. And let them figure out what they want to be and what they want to do. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to, they don't have to, they don't have to follow. They don't have to live like, I don't have to live vicariously through them because I'm living my own, I'm living my own dreams, you know, without any question. And you might say, well, you know, those are pretty small dreams. I'll say not to me, you know, not to me. I I love books and I'm around, you know, I got to, I, I did a book with Dave Winfield. I got to talk baseball with Dave Winfield for six months. And I did a book with Pat Summerall and we got to talk, NFL and I did a book with uh, Chris Myers on NASCAR and you know and uh, and and Doug Christie uh, talking about his career in the NBA and you know all kinds of people at the highest levels of society. I love books. I love learning. I love people. I love words. I love sentences. So for me, I'm you know I'm just I'm just just happy as a as a pig in dirt because you know I'm I'm, I'm doing all day long what I love and it's it's unbelievable and. Uh, you know, that's why that's kind of why I like Shark Tank so much, because it really celebrates entrepreneurs and their dreams. 
And it also brings, you know, talking about reality, it also brings in a lot of reality. My kids know the very first question is always, what are your sales? You know, what are your sales channels? What are you, and, and, and it's, it's not just to have a dream, it's to have some reality to go along with it. And, you know, one thing that I didn't know about Shark Tank when I went on it is how they, how vicious they can be to people who come in unprepared. And, you know, if, if like, if you're going to go on Shark Tank and you have a really stupid idea or it's a good idea, but you're not doing it well because you, you have no sales and, and it's all, you know, dreams and it's, well, we're going to get 1% of the market and all that stuff. I mean, they're going to body slam you like it's like it's like it's wrestling and it's great television and it's very painful for those people. But the thing is that, yeah, you have to have a dream, but you also have to know you have to know how to make that dream a reality. And I did not, which is why I studied sales and marketing and entrepreneurship and customer service and, uh, you know, uh, uh, financials and everything that you need to know to be a business owner. I mean, I was sitting down with my business coach and my wife, my wife runs the money in our business. We're sitting down today. It's like, we had a really good year. Why did that happen? By accident? No, because I've been doing the same thing for, you know, like 30 years now. And I've gotten really good at it. And I've gotten really good at running the business. Are there better entrepreneurs? Sure. Are there more successful ones? Of course. That's not the point. point is I'm able to support myself and my family really nicely because I followed my dream. And that gives my kids their, the freedom to be whoever they want to be, as opposed to needing to, you know, like solve some sort of problem in childhood that I gave them, you know, because I was too busy, uh, you know, leaning on them or using them for spare parts or making their lives miserable because I was unhappy. I think we have a huge obligation to our family members to be happy, you know, not just to be successful, but to be happy. Because if we're not happy, everybody's going to, you know, if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. Well, if dad's not happy, mom's not, nobody's happy. <laughs> yep. You know, I, I think you have an absolute obligation to be grateful and to be happy in life and to, uh, to, to you know, I mean, Tony Robbins says in America, the, the poor in America are the 1% in the rest of the world, you know, and, and we don't realize how good we have it. We, you know, clean water in our homes. And I took my wife to Venice two weeks ago. I have a client in Sweden. We went to Venice for a few days, like four days, just like a little romantic getaway. And I can tell you that those sorts of trips were not happening when the kids were little because the money was not there and the time was not there. I, you know, you couldn't be away from the kids that long. And, you know, we're over there enjoying ourselves and I'm realizing, you know, why am I able to do this? Because I bust my butt, you know, and that's um, I don't know how I got on this tangent, but that's, you know, it's it, it, that's one thing I love about about uh, about uh, Shark Tank, because you see entrepreneurs, you see people following their dreams. And when they add in the realism about how am I going to actually make this business work? Where am I going to get my sales? How am I going to do customer service? Who am I going to align with? You know, that's those are the right questions to ask. And, uh, and 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 it's really great that there's a show that actually celebrates that. So, you know, and if and if you go on with uh, with, with with no clue about how you're going to do any of that, man, you ought to know better by now. It's been a lot on the air 11 years. You know what's going to happen to you. They're going to they're going to come down on you and humiliate you. And, you know, you signed up for that. So, you know, you can't blame anybody else. But anyway. No, look, you have exemplified uh, a lot of what it means to be a super entrepreneur and, you know, raising other people up around you uh, and, and, you know, creating jobs, creating purpose uh, for yourself and for others um, and, and, you know, enabling people, the right people to be in the right positions to do things that they can enjoy. Like, because, you know, nobody wants to work with someone who's unhappy and doesn't really want to be there doing what they're doing. And, 
Um, so I, I think that 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 uh, that's a great cut uh, on your part. So don't don't feel bad about getting on a tangent. That was beautifully articulated. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Look, getting to yeah, and and what you said about not having the time. Totally. Like we had to go. We celebrated our tenth anniversary. This uh, well it was in October. Yeah. We celebrated yeah. over the summer. I want we want I wanted to do a cruise with with my wife for like uh, you know five days or or whatever, but that just wasn't going to happen without the kids because nobody else could take the kids for that long. Yeah, yep. Same thing with us. I mean, we went. We actually we went on a trip this summer that was like thirteen days. We went to Istanbul and then a cruise and then Athens, and thirteen days is eleven days longer than I think than any trip we took. I, I don't know if we were even away for three nights when the kids were under 15 and, wow. you know, and to do something like this. And then we got a puppy, but the trouble is that the people were taking care of the puppy. You know, the puppy was having a hard time without my wife who was a primary caretaker. So she's, you know, she's on the phone all day, you know, from Istanbul trying to get the puppy squared. So it kind of never, <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> but, you know, the puppy's getting squared away now. So we were able to get to Venice. So, you know, I mean, you just hang in there, you know, you just hang in through those, those tunnel years. And try to enjoy them as much as you can, um, but you know it's all good. No, I, look, I we don't we don't get to go out very like maybe less than one handful of times a year, just me and her in general, because it just yeah. doesn't work out that way. Um, and now, I mean now that they're older, it's a, it, it's 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 loosened up a little bit more. But also we had COVID to deal with for the last two years, so it was kind of like yeah. we didn't necessarily you know there was some of that time we didn't want people coming over the house or. Our, our kids weren't welcome to go other, to other people's houses. Um, so it's been difficult to say the least uh, uh, on, on us. But, um, but so again, back to, to, to Shark Tank and, and yeah. all of that, like you getting to go uh, and be on, on Shark Tank, how are you, how are you feeling about yourself as you were walking down the, the hall there? I felt as though I'd been shrunk and somehow stuck into my television set, you know, like, like, like how did that happen? What happened to me? You know, like, Willy Wonka there. Yeah. It was was full Willy Wonka. And then you, you know, you're looking to the side and then you see that there aren't actual sharks. It's a video of sharks in the, in those, you know, and the, and then you get there and you stand on the carpet and you're going, this is crazy. I mean, those were not the words that went through my head. (laughs) this This is just a nutty life experience. This is fun. And I'd studied up on all of them. I'd read their books. So I had specific information, you know, specific things to say to each of them. And, uh, you know, and, and I, because I didn't really need the, 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 the deal, you know, when uh, at one point, uh, um, you know, Mr. Wonderful said, uh, you know, he was out. I said, okay, no more schmoozing for you. You know, I, I, just, I just had fun with it. I just, I just had fun with it. And they had fun with me. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that came out of it was that um, I had sold three novels to Simon and Schuster in my late twenties, early thirties. Couldn't come to terms on a fourth. Ran out of money. Um, met a mentor figure who's been my mentor now for twenty nine years. He's still in my life. He's he's eighty now. His name is Bob. Bob sat me down in a Dunkin' Donuts and showed me how to start a business so I could pay for my life. Um, and it was uh, offering writing classes. So I did that, and that turned into people saying. Um, you know, consult with me. And that turned into people saying, you just write it for me. And that's how I backed into ghostwriting. So I was always ashamed of the fact that I couldn't make a living as a novelist, which is like saying, you know, I couldn't make a living living on the moon. I mean, it's like impossible. But I always felt bad about that. And then the show, 
uh, I think it was Robert said, you know, you've done what like 0.0001% of writers have ever done, which is you figured out how to make a good living as a writer. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize that. So the show for me was like an, a, um, uh, you know, on, on national television, uh, I forget the word. Like an, an, an in, what's it called? An, an, I'm just uh, uh, an epiphany. Yeah, it was like an epiphany. Like, I gave a word. No you way. Gave a word. That's Holy! It. God. It, was like, it was like they were doing an intervention on me, and, oh. and we had this epiphany that you know I've done something good with my life. This is actually good. I'm actually successful as a business person. Even if I didn't, you know, completely fill my, and I still write novels and I still, you know, I have a one man show. I do all kinds of things and I write songs and I've gone to Nashville to record the song. So I, you know, I get to do a lot of really crazy fun things. Uh, but at the same time, Shark Tank for me primarily, I mean, it was a marketing thing and people, you know, called in and said, Hey, can I hire you? But it was, it was primarily an, an, an intervention on me on national television to help me realize that I, I was a successful entrepreneur. And that was something to be proud of instead of something to kind of be ashamed of, which is how I'd always felt about it until that moment. So that's really what the show did for me. Well, I, and I think you you embodied that like in, in what you said earlier about like, well, my business isn't sexy. You know, it, it's not, <laughs> you know, but the the fact of the matter is, is, is you know, getting to write. Right. Like I, one of my best closest friends um you know went to school to be a writer had a bunch of stints in a bunch of different places and ultimately like worked in a click farm to like write you know articles for like a click farm so right basically writing articles to get clicks to get people to like click on ads basically okay. right. right and it, and it's it literally is a farm because he would just show up and it would just be like here's the assignment today and write you know it's got to have all these seo terms to get searched and all that and yeah. it's like AI could write that now, you know, t- 10 years later, AI could literally write it for you. So, yep. you know, why, why do I need, you know, what we, they, that, that job is, you know, on the, on the doorstep. So, uh, so I, one thing I wanted to ask though was, you know, I mean, Mark, I, I was hoping Mark would see the value, you know, in, in my video, you, you watch, you did watch my video, right? Maybe. Yeah. 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 Go on. Okay, so uh, you know, I was disappointed that Mark, uh, you know, was like, well, you know, how many people, or how, how, like, how many people really need, read books at this point? Like, you know, this, this just feels like if this was 1995, maybe, I, maybe, but not now, not in 2009, the the advanced year 2009, when like the <laughs> iPhone had just come out, uh, that just come out, yeah, just right around there, yeah, yeah, like. It wasn't like we were like we were living on the edge of the the brink of of actual technology for like consumers to uh, to be in in people's pockets and be um, uh, so, like not synonymous. What's the word like uh, uh, autonomous? Autonomous? Nah, not uh, not. Uh, I can't think of the word. Help me out. Give me a word. Give me a word. Word. The pivot. The um. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I was disappointed because I, I, I really I really did believe like, you know, he has access to all these celebrities like he could just be like, yo, I'm Mark Cuban, like here, you need a book, you need a book and, and like make it a cool thing. Right. Everything that's old yeah. becomes new again. I mean, I, we we just got our kids Tamagotchis for Christmas, like everything that's old is, is new again. 
I don't even know what that is, but I'm glad that my kids are too old because I don't want to. So your kids are too time. young. That's too that's young? the pro- They're too young. Yeah. So Tamagotchis were in like the mid '90s, mid to late '90s. They were the little egg-shaped things with the screens, and you had to feed them and huh? like change their diapers and stuff. That like fun. I, I might like that. I find that very soothing. Yeah, you get them for like yeah. twenty bucks. It's pretty neat. No, the, the, I mean, what it really came down to with Mark and with uh, da- uh, Damon, I guess all of them, it's what I do isn't scalable. And, you know, uh, they're looking for, like, there was a fireman who went on in an episode I watched, and he had some sort of nozzle. And they all just went doing backflips over this nozzle because, you know, it's easy to sell and, you know, it's easy to manufacture. And, you know, I mean, uh, Damon said, can you do this for, you know, lower income families for $15,000? I'm like, no, I cannot do that and guarantee the quality. I'm out, you know, and then, and then, uh, but for all of them, they're looking for stuff to the scales and I'm, you know, I'm just this old fashioned guy. And when I die, it dies, you know, just this, this, this thing about I'm a craftsman. I mean, that's what I am. And, and, uh, I mean, you know, I'll tell you who was my, 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 my model as a, as a, as a business owner, this is going to sound nuts. There was a, there was a guy named Lincoln. And I lived in Marblehead, Massachusetts, you know, decades ago. And, and Link had a, uh, he was this, this, this just like old Maine salt kind of guy, like this typical New Englander, never said anything to anybody. And he did woodwork. And if you wanted to order a bookcase, he would write it down in his notebook and stick in his back pocket. And then when he got around to doing your bookcase, he'd call you three months later and say, your bookcase is ready. It's $85 or whatever it was. And that's how he worked. He did one bookcase at a time or one shelf or one whatever. And, you know, he got it done on his time frame. And I'm not that way. I mean, there's, you know, you'd be a dilettante if you did that in the business world. But I just love the fact that he just didn't care. All he wanted to do was his craft the right way. And, you know, he'd get paid and he never lacked for work. And to me, that was like, you know, that's that's the model. But for them, you know, they, they'd rather be shot in the face with an arrow than invest in a, you know, in a, in, a, in a guy like that or a guy like me because it's not scalable. I'm not meant to be scalable. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a commodity product. And, I mean, today I was on the phone with a prospect, and she's like, how much is it? So I quoted a fee. And she said, well, you know, I talked to so-and-so, this other company, and I know them, and, they'll, and, and they quoted a fee that was just, you know, was, uh, two, it was two-thirds of mine, and it included publishing and everything else. And all I could say was, you know, there's a reason why people pay me what they pay me. And there's a reason why people pay them that. And, you know, and, and I mean, and, uh, you know, it's not just about having a book. It's about having a book that's going to re- represent you effectively in the world. I mean, this person's in Miami. She has a high-end business, high-end clientele. And if she goes cheap on her book, and I think she will, I don't think she's going to come back. Um, she's going to end up with a really nasty book that's that's crummy and, uh uh, people are going to scoff at it and it's going to hurt her business if it doesn't kill her business. But, you know, I can't convince her that and I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit there and if she wants a bookshelf, I'll write it in my uh, notebook and I'll put it in my back pocket and I'll call her when it's done. But, you know, I'm, so, you know, it's like you get what you pay for in life. So so what I am is not scalable. The company that that's doing it for the smaller fee and including publishing and marketing and distribution and uh you know, painting your house and, and, and uh, you know, great. That's scalable. That's a business they would invest in. But I'm never going to be them because, because I, uh, you know, I, because I, uh, uh, I care about quality. I care about quality. And I cannot provide that level of quality in a scalable fashion. 
boy, I got on a soapbox there, Joe. Why didn't you cut me off or ring a bell? Because that's what a good interview. Come on, man. I've been doing this long. Well, not as long as you have, but I've been doing it since 2014. Really, like since I was a kid, because people used to tell me their stories. Like, like adults would tell me their whole life stories, and I would just sit there and listen and take mental notes and things. So, no, nah, that's how that's how you get the best stuff, right? Yeah. You want to hear my Barbara Corcoran story? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, but okay, why, but why are on? Here? So yes. I, I have it written down here for the Barbara Corcoran story. Okay, um, good. So, um, you know, there's. have you ever heard uh, – this is, this is not sponsored by them, but one of my favorite podcasts, uh, the Disney Dish podcast with, the, the, with Jim Hill. I'm a, I'm a big Disney head. Um, they get sponsored by a company called StoryWorth. Have you heard of StoryWorth? No. Storyworth. A lot of great companies out there that, that I'm not familiar with. So so just the fact that you know one guy hasn't heard of it, they could be fantastic. And well, you never heard of Tamagotchis before, and they were a pretty big crew. Let me ask you something. Have you ever watched Teletubbies? I, I was a I was old at that point when that came out. You okay. know, I was old for that. But I know of it and I've seen it, but I never understood like I'm a SpongeBob guy. I don't I don't I don't get I don't get Teletubbies. Now, I mean, my kids were into Teletubbies. I watched a lot of Teletubbies. I really got into Phineas and Ferb. That, you know, to me, that's like. That's, I never really, I've watched like a little bit of it. I, I know I should watch more of it because I know it's a really funny, like SpongeBob-esque yes, uh, yeah, type of yeah. show. Anyway, you were saying. So, so StoryWorth sounds exactly like, so, so they sponsor this, uh, that podcast that I listen to, the Disney right. Dish podcast. An, an immense resource, not just if you're a Disney fan. Uh, but if you're a, a history fan and or a business, like learning about business, they talk a lot about the business of Disney, like and, and what's going on and why make decisions, even like going into like the surveys that Disney has sent and Universal are yes. sending out and then like hypothesizing. Well, why would they ask that question? Maybe yeah. it's because this patent that we just found out about like two days ago, you know, is it, it might so, have something to do with that. Right. Um, putting the pieces together. But StoryWorth basically is a way, I mean, according to their website, it, it preserves meaningful moments and memories in a beautiful keepsake book, then share the experience with loved ones and discover stories. And the way that Jim Hill describes it, um, he, I think he, I believe he used it for his dad before his dad passed away, that it sends all these like thought provoking questions. So basically doing what you do, but doing it for the everyman, uh, and everyone, lady, you know, uh, and in a way that I guess is like manufactured to a scalable way, right? Yeah. So, so like here's their uh, their website. So that's a copy of like now. This isn't something that would be what you're you know targeting with your service, but like I wonder if somebody if if one of the sharks had the foresight to like you know they were asking like how do we make this scalable? If one of them had the foresight to do this, they could have did story worth like ten plus years ago with you. And that would have been much more scalable than having those one-on-one -on -one interviews and needing to be paid twenty, thirty plus thousand dollars to do it all. Joe, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying it could have been you that, that had that. And, okay, I, and with that said, I don't know how many competitors there are to, to a story worth. Right? They might just be one of like twenty other companies doing the same thing at this point, which they probably are. I mean, when you're when you you know when you list like being you know on CNN and New York Times or whatever, like obviously somebody else has seen this, right? Um, clearly not you, but other people have seen this, and I just wonder, like that could have 
that could have been uh, to, like it just makes perfect sense right to figure out like and the, and the sharks knew it right they're like how do we get this so that it's affordable but you guys didn't but didn't have the the knowledge at the time to to figure out how to put that together yeah, um, and, and it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking to me cuz like i want to no, see people win too no you know it's really okay because you have to decide in life am i the talent or am i the suit and if you're the talent then you want to do then you just want to do the craft of it and the joy is in the craft of it and you'll make plenty of money from that um, if you want it, but the thing is that you know I, I mean i got to a point a few years later where uh, my company had grown so much that we were doing like 120 books a year. And, wow. you know, we were making great coins. Wow. It, you know, it was everything you could ask for. And, um, and it started to affect my health. And I, so I talked to my business friends and they all said, stay three more years and you'll be able to sell it for, you know, five times what you could get today. And then I talked to my business friends who really knew me intimately. And they were all like, you're done. It's over. Get out, uh, you know, uh, and sell it if you can. And I had a buyer and I sold it. If I'd waited three years, COVID would have hit. And that would have been that. So, you know, mm. so, so, um, and now my current business, which is just the Michael Levin writing company, it's really boutique. We do, I don't know, 25 books a year, wow. uh, which is still a lot, uh, but it's not 120. And I get to be the talent most of the day instead of the suit. So, you know, uh, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a good entrepreneur. Uh, I run a good, solid business. Um, but I'm not a business guy. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, I'm, 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 I'm a specialist in one thing, which is crafting books, planning and writing and organizing books. And that's, that's what I love to do. Um, you know, if I were a business guy, then I would have figured out a better way to monetize the skill and I would have made, you know, 10x the money I've made. But you know what? Whatever. I mean, there's a story that 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 that, uh, that I absolutely love and I think about a lot. And it's about this. Is it the fisherman? Yeah. 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 I know it. Okay. All right. The, 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 I, I know it. The, the fisherman know it? in Mexico. You, yeah, go, go ahead. You tell it. All right. No, it's, it's so funny. It's like, as I started, I thought I was thinking, you know, how well known is this uh, business guy? I'll, I'll, you know, really briefly, you know, New York business guy goes down to Mexico, hires a hire, hires a local guy to take him out. And the, the, and the guy basically takes a guy out in the morning and he sits and drinks beer and, and whatnot in the afternoon. And the business guy is so taken with him. He says, listen, I could set you up. You could have a fleet of boats. You could be hiring 20 other guys. And, 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 and you could just be kicking back in the afternoons and drinking beers like I do that now. So it's sort of like, do you want to be the talent or do you want to be the suit? How much money do you need? And uh, look, if I'd made the you know, 10x what I've made, would I be 10x happier? I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. I have everything I could ask for. So I, I, just, I just don't know if, uh, if that extra level of money would make up for the fact that I was not you know, in my uh, unique ability, as strategic, as strategic coach says. So I'd rather be, I'd rather take one guy out in the morning and, you know, and drink beer all afternoon than, than have a fleet of 20 fishing boats. But other people are different and, you know, they're wired differently. They're wired to be business people. I'm, I'm, I'm a writer guy who learned how to be a business, be a business person out of necessity, but that's not where I live. And I do it and I like doing it. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of what I do. Um, 
but you know, it's not like I could give this up and, and, and start making aluminum cans or scissors or calculators or something and be just as happy. I'm a writer guy and I get to write and plan and be around books and that's what makes me happy. So, you know, that's just me. The, no. So the finish that story, you know, the, the end of it is all about like, well, what would you do if you, you know, after you have all that money? Well, I'd come out, you know, I'd retire back to Mexico and sit on a boat all day. And that's exactly what he's doing now. So, yeah, that's, 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 that's <laughs> or, you know, I mean, in my version, he's drinking beer in the afternoon or whatever it is. It's sort of like you may already be there. I mean, that's something that uh, I'm a big strategic coach guy. And Dan Sullivan, the, the, you know, the head of that program teaches he says, you know, and he looks around the room and it's like 40, 50 guys, mostly guys, men and women who are in their 40s, 50s and 60s, some in their 70s. And, you know, he looks around and he says, you know, at the time it was 20,000 a year for the program. Now he charges 50,000 a year to be in his program. He says, you people talk about like trying to get there. You're already there. What you have to do now is expand your concept of what being there means. And that's really powerful. So, you know, it's and he said, he said, if you just think it's about the money, you could be a billionaire. And you know what that means? Now you're going to have to have uh, bodyguards for your children. They're not going to be able to go to school without somebody with a gun. Is that what you want? You know, I mean, it's like it's better. It's better with more money, more money. All of a sudden it's not better. You know, it's, it's the inverted U-curve that Malcolm Gladwell writes about. It applies to everything and it applies to money, too. It's great to have. And then there comes a point where you're trading time for money, which is a commodity that you already have enough of. You know, so 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 like you just have to. There's a great story. If you know this one, I'll I'll stop. Uh, the, the 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 Joseph Heller uh, story that John Bogle tells. Mm, I don't think so. okay, I, maybe I don't I don't know the yeah, I mean I've heard the names, but I'm not okay, sure. So Joseph Heller wrote Catch Twenty Two. It's one of those successful novels in history. Mm. And uh, John Bogle, who created Vanguard Group, wrote, wrote really great books about about personal finance and about just just fantastic. And he tells a story about how Joseph Heller was at a party of a hedge fund guy in Sag Harbor out on Long Island. And um, somebody comes up to Heller and says, doesn't it bother you that you have one of the most successful books in human history? And the guy who owns this house makes what you made in 50 years on that book. He makes that same amount of money every week. And Heller says, not really, because I have one thing that he doesn't have. And the guy said, well, what's that? And Heller said, I have enough. So, you know, it's like the hunger to succeed is great. And then the thing is that you can overshoot the mark so much so that, you you know, you're out of balance. You're spending too much time on the business, not enough with your family. Or you're spending so much time on the business, you're not getting to the gym. And you're not eating right. And you're eating crap. And you're not getting enough sleep. And, you know, the expression is we trade our, we trade our, our health for wealth. And then we have to trade our wealth for health. So are you taking care of yourself? You know, are you uh, uh, I'm going to put in a commercial. I'm running the Boston Marathon. I'm 64. I'll run my 10th Boston, Boston Marathon in April. Thank you. I'm running for Dana Farber, uh, which is the greatest great cancer institute. And so you, if you go to Michael Runs Boston, you can support my run. I'm, I'm closing in on the two hundred thousand dollar mark lifetime. So, That's you know, phenomenal. So come, like, go to Michael Run, Michael Runs Boston dot com and help me get over the top. I hope uh, that commercial was OK, Joe. No, of course it is. That that is a great. Uh, I have yet to run the Boston Marathon. I have a lot of friends that have. Um, I'm a runner myself, so I I can appreciate uh, you you doing that. And uh, was it MichaelsRunsBoston.com? That's it. That's it. That is it right there. And uh, you? yeah, there I am. Look at, at the, that. 
Fenway Park. Fenway Park. That's I've been I've been there once uh, for a game. It was a incredible experience back in like oh eight oh nine. Yeah, 10, 10, something just, like, yeah it was a special time too because the, the red sox were pretty darn good back then too yeah if you have a long enough memory you can remember when the red sox were good yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that is that is phenomenal so yes please go uh super community go over there and uh and and show some love uh Thank to you. michael's fundraising page please um yeah no so much i, I had not uh i don't think i've heard that story but but having you know it's so important uh to to know what enough is right to set those goals and just to know like that you know you're gonna have to expand i was laughing earlier when you said that you know you you people come here you you spent you know you spend all this money you've already made i all george carlin came to mind i'm like this is like me paying george carlin to tell you know punch me in the stomach and and uh or slap me in the face yeah and i paid him fifty thousand dollars to do it I love George Carlin. That's great. But <laughs> so yes. So, but I, I, you know, the amount, and you were dabbling on this uh, a little bit earlier there about y- your your honesty coming through in the episode. And I know I pointed it out towards the end of the episode, like because you were going like, "Yeah, I'm a bad CEO. Yeah, I'm not a management person. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not the marketer." And they're like, well, then w- what are you then? <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? Um, and, and you know what the, the sad part is, is if you had come on the show just, maybe just a few years later, I feel like it, you would have smashed a, a home run with them, right? Because they would have been in better positions to have teams for themselves set up, right? Because it, it's still early days Shark Tank, right? Like Lori yeah. just came in in season three. She when she and when she, from my understanding, when she got started, she didn't have a team out of the gate. It was just her and her husband trying to figure it all out as they went along um, to put a team together to be able to have this intake process of these businesses that they were taking on. And uh, and I feel like if you had been there two, three seasons later. That sure. they would have had, you know, it, it's a, becomes more well oiled machine. They've been like, we'll figure it out, you know, because the, uh, to me, the mm-hmm. honesty stands out. The um, knowing your lane and knowing what makes you happy is is so important, right? Because they, you know, you can get other people to do those other things if you have money. Clearly, you already had money, so it's not like you're like, I'm coming in. I want to do this thing. I want to interview celebrities. Yeah. Um, you already were doing it. So it's not like you hadn't already figured it out and you're a great guy. So it's like slot right into a great, you know, with my great team. Boom. We're going to go. You know, we already have marketing people. We're going to take care of that part. Right. Maybe they, they, maybe they want more than 10% to do so, but it's already there. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the, it, it, it's a really interesting point that you're making. And I did reflect on it afterwards you know, should I have said all that? Did I kind of shoot myself in the foot? And the reality is that I could have done a better job of presenting myself in the business, you know, without because I, I, I mentioned the shame factor that was sort of driving the way, you know, the way I was thinking when I went into the tank. And uh, and I, I might have gotten a deal or might not have, but it might not have been as good television and I might not have aired. So, you know, after the, after the episode, uh, I mean, after I was done and nobody, you know, nobody went for me, I'm like, well, I guess I'm not airing. That's that. And then I, I then I got word, uh, you know, through channels that they, they all said that was really good television. I'm like, oh, OK. So if that was the trade off and, 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 you know, it was I think it was more important for me to get on the air than to uh, than to actually get a deal. 
but if I could have done both, if you know, I, I was deeply, deeply disappointed uh, not to get a deal. I really thought I would. And, um, you know, I just hadn't really reflected on the scalability issue and how to, how to answer that once that came up. I had my numbers. I had, you know, had everything else lined up, but I just I wasn't prepared for the scalability question. And that I think that sunk me, although somehow they liked it and they thought it was good television and they put me on. So, you know, and the and the episode, I haven't seen it lately, but it's, it, it airs a lot. I mean, or it used to. I don't know if season three is so out of date, um, but, you know, the phone would ring a lot every time. It, I'd, I'd, I'd come in. There's a bunch of messages. And I go, oh, I guess the episode aired last night. So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, again, I, I think um, I don't think that the scalability thing was uh necessarily like look mark cuban invested in i want to draw a cat for you and there's only oh, one guy and he's drawing the cats that's not real scalable but he still did i mean it was a lot less money that was being asked for but you know i i don't know that that any anything that you would have said at that point would have changed their mind like i don't even think the scalability thing would have been there because they already had the idea they knew how to well at least damon knew at that point how do i get the, this into the you know every every joe and every linda's you know um yeah. mailbox so they can create their own book right and and do it for you know five ten thousand dollars or something to that effect um so they knew they just didn't know how to do it, and they they missed they missed out on the opportunity by not having a trustworthy person and a and a passion driven person uh, to to work with to make that happen. Well, I'm still out here, you know. I'm still typing away, so you know. I mean, darn it's, straight it's, you are. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, okay. So you you leave the tank, uh, like yeah. you. Talk about what happened. I mean, obviously, we're trying to sum up. I know we're we're well past time at this point, but let's. No, I, I can't believe anybody's. You know, I mean, like maybe a couple of drunks in Cleveland or what? I mean, who cares about? Are, are, oh man, no. The, the super community, uh, they okay. show up for these. Right, this this is super valuable. Thank, this thank is super super valuable. Thank you, super community. What happened right afterwards was that they they usher you into you know you walk out and they usher. I, I, the Barbara Corcoran story happens before that oh. moment. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. The Barbara Corcoran. So I have it. I do have it written down I'll here. Save I, that. I'll save that. I'll save okay. that as long as you've got time. Because just to answer I got that, time. They usher you into a uh, into into a room, and by now I'm wrung out. I'm exhausted, and I'm frustrated. I'm ang- not angry, but I'm just like I'm, I'm. I'm just you know. It's like I left it all in the tank. You know, I was exhausted at that point, and so now my line producer. Uh, is having me answer, you know, like he's got me on camera and he's asking, okay, you know, like what went on in there, something like that. And I couldn't figure out what he wanted. I was so tired. And so I think we went through like six or eight takes, maybe 10 takes before he got what he wanted. And I still to this day have no idea what he was looking for. I was so tired. I couldn't figure it out. And he's just like, okay, that's not it. Let's try it again. And, and, let me out of here. You know, let me go back to the hotel. You know, I'm done. It's over. It didn't work out. Let me go. But, uh, but you know, but that's, that's what happened immediately afterwards. So, so, so when you get back, uh, you don't know if you're going to air, um, you, you end up being first episode in the season. Uh, and, and did you, did you have a watch party? No. Um, I watched, I remember, um, you know, we got a DVD of it. In really? Advance, yeah, in advance of it airing. 
Wow, I've never heard that before. Huh. I think so. I might have gotten it through channels, you know, through. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I did. But I mean, the first thing is that like right after, like either that day or the next day, I heard from a go-between that they all said it was good television and that I was going to air. So nothing was a guarantee. And then, you know, the day of the show, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and, you know, there could be a presidential speech or something. You're preempted. But so it always looked like I was going to air. And then they gave me the date and, you know, and, and OK, um, I think I got a DVD. It airs Friday. Is it is it Friday nights? I think at the time. So originally, I think it was Fridays. They moved it no. to Sundays for like a couple of se- one or two seasons. And then okay. now it's back at Fridays at eight o'clock. So, so here's how it works. We keep the Jewish Sabbath. So by the time it was going to air, it was already dark in Southern California. So there was no way we could see it. So I never saw it live. And instead, we got it. We got a DVD. I'm, I'm almost certain that we got the DVD in advance of the episode airing. Huh. Uh, so and, you know, from somebody who knew somebody knew somebody and um we and i just watched it with my family i found it so unbearable to watch that i never saw the second i I slipped out after about five or six minutes and i just i couldn't it's like watching you you can't watch yourself lose and just watching yourself in general is uh you know it's kind of unbearable for me or for a lot of people so i've never seen the whole episode and i don't intend to you know, I mean, I didn't even watch all of everything that, that you, I just, I just, I sort of like, I, I lost, I don't want to watch myself losing and that's it. And I just sort of, I didn't even want to interrupt, my family was into it. So I can still see them all like crowded around the desktop and, you know, it was back in the day and uh, looking at the desktop and watching the thing. And I just sort of slipped out and just, you know, walked away because, you know, I mean, I, I lost. Why do I want to watch myself losing? That's not fun. So. That's that's how it went. So I've never wow, seen it. wow! All right, all right. Well, that's a. It's a. I mean, I, it's totally understandable. Um, and, and and you're not the first person to tell me that they had you know issues watching themselves on the show and. Uh, some of the, you know, some people have told me like they got burnt out with Shark Tank preparing for the show that after there's after they even watched theirs the first time. They just they're they're not watching the show anymore because they're just yeah, so burnt out from I it. I felt that way. I mean, I love the show, and uh, I mean, just you know, we never, we very rarely had either cable TV or satellite or dish or something like that when the kids were little, because we just didn't want them to be glued in front of the TV. And then one year we got it so that I could watch football, and I watched like two downs of football, and then my boys were like, "What else is on? You know, we want to watch SpongeBob." <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, paying 55 a month for spongebob or 74 whatever it was at the time i don't know so that was the end of that so you know it's not like we you know we we just didn't we just didn't you know we were very cautious about you know screen time with them and i mean every parent knows that technology is the worst most horrible war zone between parents and kids a lot of time so you know we just didn't even have it and i i finally got youtube tv a couple of years ago so I can watch football. And my wife's like, you watch every down of football. Did you just become a fan? I'm like, no, I couldn't watch it when the kids were little because <laughs> they wouldn't let me. And then we wouldn't watch that, want, want them watching, you know, watching Disney Channel. So, you know, um, so I, it's, so I, I, I very seldom, I, I seldom got to see the show. But the thing is that when I do see it, my kids love it and they're fascinated by it. So I watch it with them. And I think it's really cool that, 
I think it's really, really cool that, it, that of all the shows on television, that's something that Shark Tank is something that parents and kids watch together because, you know, the parents are interested from a business perspective and the kids just find it fascinating to, uh, you know, to see what's going to happen. So, you know, so I, 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 uh, I would never, I would never ever say I was burned out on it. Uh, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful to Shark Tank uh, for one of the most extraordinary life experiences. I mean, it opens a lot of doors. When people hear that you've been on Shark Tank, they're like, whoa, you know, uh, I've met two people who climbed Everest. I mean, I think that's much cooler, but climbing, but, but doing Shark Tank is, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's a cool thing to do. I mean, it's just a different, different life experience. And then on top of that, I, I'm not joking around when I say that it was a national inter televised intervention on me to help me appreciate that I was a pretty good entrepreneur. And, and, and that was life. That was life changing. Being on the show was, you know, it was a cool, fun thing. Okay. You know, I mean, they're cool experiences that you cannot buy. Like you're a runner. Uh, people cannot buy a, a marathon medal. You know, you have to earn it. Uh, and, 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 and doing something like Shark Tank, it's the same thing. It's just like, you know, you did something cool. I mean, you know, only 35 people a year who, uh, who, who, so what is that? 400 people. I mean, I'm in a group of 400 entrepreneurs or something like that. Uh, it's a little bit more than that. So there's like 25 episodes a season and four pitches oh. per episode. So, so still, um, it's, a, it's a small number of people and whatever, you know, it's, uh, but, the, but anyway, so I, I would never, I would never disparage a show in any way. I, love I guess, well, no, I guess that is four times, four times 25 episodes yeah i guess that's two 200 per yeah per two i i can't do math <laughs> you need it so <laughs> that's why you're right because <laughs> uh, numbers are uh you know um no i i i appreciate you giving me a title for this episode it's either gonna be uh i i found it so unbearable or it was a life intervention it was, um, it was a, yeah yeah i mean you know all i know about numbers why did why is six afraid of seven yeah, because eight, eight, nine, uh, seventy-nine. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dad jokes. Dad, Dad jokes. My specialty. Um. So Barbara Corker, oh, the Corker yes. Corker story. Yes. Yes. So the um, you know, I think that she had been coached, uh, you know, prior to my episode, maybe after season two, that she had not been aggressive enough, and that's just my guess. Mm. What are you thinking, Joe? It's quite possible. I mean, she, she uh, you know, I think in season two, she was more Lori like, not like night nicety uh, than than in, in seasons like your season going forward, for sure. Yeah, so, well, the, the, she, so she, the others were respectful, and there's like, I cannot invest in you because you're not scalable, because, okay, you know, I mean, they, they, they were courteous. And, 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 and on the show, she said um, that I wasn't trustworthy. And I was like, wow, how can you say that? You don't even know me. What a terrible thing to say about a human being on television. On national television, yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, dude, you asked for Shark Tank, so you get what you get. And that was that. So I said, all right, whatever. So I'm heading out after, you know, I'm thanking them all, and I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the tank. And, she, and then Barbara, of all people, goes, wait a minute. So I turned back. And remember that I had asked for $200,000 for the And so Barbara says, wait, I, I have to ask you something. And I'm like, am I getting a deal? What's happening here? And she says, when you came out on stage, I turned to Robert. She sits next to Robert. And she said, Robert, 
I said, look, Robert, look at his shoes. He has really big shoes. How big do you think his shoes are? And now I'm exhausted from the whole, you know, like the ordeal of the waiting and the not sleeping and then the doing of it. And then I'm confronted with this question. I'm thinking to myself, you know, if, if, the, if the genders were reversed and there was a man asking a woman a question that had obvious sexual implications, it would be a no-go situation. It would be just like, you can't do that. But somehow, you know, this was okay. This is okay. This is a real, and, and my, I have size 10 shoes. I'm five foot 10 inches tall. I'm like a normal person. Okay. I, I don't, I'm not Bob Lanier or, you know, or, or Shaq. I don't have like huge shoes, <laughs> huge anything. So, so, you know, I was really taken aback by that. And I just said, Barbara, if you really want to know my shoe size, it's going to cost you $200,000 to find out. And I just turned and walked away. So, you know, I can't hit the hard. I can't hit it hard enough. <laughs> wow! There you have it. Wow! Wow! I mean, I know she's a, a bit, a bit of a, a cougar on the show. Um, assuming that's a thing that you're allowed to say. Still, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> she's if the shoe fits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, an, uh, you know. Look, if you want to keep something secret, put an hour and a half into a podcast. It'll be secret. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, it's a, it, you know, it's 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 funny now, but at the time, it was sort of like, that's just that's just off. You just called me like untrust. Yeah, that's right. She did call you that, and and which I, it's crazy because you were upfront and honest about what your skill set is, what your place in the business is. You didn't lie about it. You could have been like, "Yeah, I can do it all, and we're going to do this." And 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 you're like literally making it up as you're just like ver- word vomiting, like whatever they want to hear at that in the moment. That's right. Yeah, call me anything but that. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, I think that seems... call me a bad business person. Call me whatever you want, you know. But uh, but why are you going after my character when you don't know me? That's the thing that I. That's the thing that sort of uh, it just it just didn't sit right. But you that's know, you just kind of go. Gee, you know that's unfortunate. But you just go, all right, that's life. No one's going to care. You know, I mean, you know, no one, no one's ever picked up on that and said, you know, uh, Barbara Corcoran was right about you. (laughs) Well, look, nobody apparently took her seriously because you ended up having a great career since and being able to roll that into a business you were able to sell. Uh, Not everybody gets to say that. Not everybody gets to do that, regardless of what industry you're in. Yeah. And you were able to do it in an industry that to me is fascinating. Let's let's get into that a bit because uh sure. your your business even if even if you systematized it, uh, systematized, I don't know if that's a real yeah. word. If you systemized it uh into a into a way that like you ask A to Z questions and you get the answer every time in a manner that is satisfactory to the amount of money and to the level of client that you're dealing with. Um, there's still personality. There's still trust. It, to me, it, I, I'll equate it, and I don't know, hopefully this, you won't find this offensive, but I'll equate it to, to somebody like cutting your lawn. There's more to do with the trust than how good you're going to cut the lawn. Anybody can like cut grass, right? But the level of trust in which I have for you to be on my property, to come into my, you know, effectively come into my home is got to be so much greater than the other guy or girl or whatever 
to be able to uh, to to have that trust for me to pay you, regardless of what whatever we're paying, you know, whatever amount of monies we're talking about. But um, but to be able to take that and then be able to transition it to somebody else to do it and for them to be able to step in and have that level of trust and not be like, Hey, we were doing, Hey, we did like $8 million this year. Uh, and we just sold the business. And now next year they're going to do like two. And that's they're lucky to do the two because it's not me doing it. It's not me asking the questions. It's not me doing the interviews. It's not me doing the selling. I'm, I'm so tell me what the, what, tell me what you're asking. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm just. So, little... so how, how did the, um, did you, okay. So how, how did you go about finding the right person to sell the business to? Uh, um, first off, I was approached and at the time I wasn't ready and I said so. And then I called the person back about a year and a half later and uh, said, I'm ready. Uh, if you still are. And so we began the process and it worked out. Are they in that industry, in the writing industry already? No, I mean, I don't want to go too deeply into it. Um, uh, so, but the short of it is, yeah, they are. So it was a, okay. it was a strategic buy for them and, uh, you know, um, and things worked out. So. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I'm not trying to probe too deep into it. I just wanted to yeah. make sure that it wasn't like, I run gas stations for a living. I'm going to go buy this book writing company because I, I never wrote a word in my life. Like, but I got the monies. Like, let's go. Let's let's make a deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it was it was not that kind of thing. It was it was it was it was a very good fit. It was a very good fit. Great people, and a very 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 good fit. So, you know, oh, that's was, that's awesome. So, um, so they already had a level of trust factor in the industry. So for them, it it, may, it would make sense. That's that's what I was getting at, right? Like taking somebody oh, from awesome. that. That's like. I got the monies that you're looking for here. Take the monies. But just because I gave you money doesn't mean that I'm going to have the level of trust with the client base, you know, or, or going forward because I don't necessarily have the experience of asking the right questions, having the right filter, right? And that kind of stuff. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're in the publishing world. And so it was a, it was, it was appropriate it was from a strategic standpoint. Yes. Awesome. Well, that is that is great to hear. And then you, I guess you didn't have a non-compete, or did you end up with a non-compete and have to wait yeah, to be able to start point, your own? At some point, at some point, we decided that okay, you know, they don't they don't need me uh, any longer. And the attitude was that there, you know, plenty of fish in the sea. And so, we, you know, so uh, things ended amicably with a with a, with a with no non-compete. You know, like, you can wow. go out there and do do your thing because. I mean, you know, there are 350 million people in this country and, uh, you know, a lot of them need books. And uh, I mean, there's there's plenty to go around. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> if anybody's trying to figure out what to do for a living, uh, ghostwriting is a pretty good business because, the you know, the margins can be good and um, and it's fun. I mean, you know, if you if you if you love people and you love books and you love words and sentences and all that stuff, as I said earlier, um, it's pretty it's pretty neat. So, you know, I- I do have one friend who does ghostwriting for a living. Um, I think I had him on my show in the past. I think. Um, so yeah, I, I would say. I mean, it it, it is a, a, an interesting uh, business model, and if you're doing it in a way that you're reaching the right people who have the money to be able to afford to do it in the first place, and have the reason a you know a reason to do it, it it kind of sells itself. You know, without you having to go and convince people, I would imagine. 
Well, it de- I mean, it depends on the person. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mentioned earlier that we met with our uh, business coach this morning. So I was looking over what happened this year and uh, um, all of the deals that I closed were either referrals or past clients, not mm-hmm. some, all. So wow. um, uh, do I want to, you know, do more marketing? Uh, sure. Um, uh, the phone, all I can say is the phone rings. And uh, that's, I mean, you know, the, as a business owner, that's where you want to be. You want to be where the phone rings and it's referrals, it's past clients, because, you know, you're not really selling, you're taking orders. You know, you're just, you know, you just, uh, they just want to, they just want to smell you and they have a sense of what it's going to cost. So there's no sticker shock. Um, I mean, very expensive, you know, I'm, I'm one of the more expensive ghostwriters in our country. And I know the two who are more expensive than I am. And I know a few who are at the same price point. And, um, you know, uh, it, 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 I cannot, I will not compete on price. So, uh, you know, as I said, there, there, there are people out there who will, uh, you know, uh, write it, publish it, do this, do that, do your social media, paint your house uh, for, you know, for, for, for a tiny, you know, tiny amount of money. And if you want to use them, go ahead. I mean, one of my friends uh, said, oh, I've got this, I've got this guy in Africa who's, he's writing my book. It's a hundred dollars a chapter. Wow. That's remarkable. He got one chapter and then the guy disappeared. You know, um, uh, it's, it's, you can find, you can find, I mean, you can go on writers' websites and it'll say that they do social media, they do white papers, they do um, articles, they do blog posts, they do books, they do this, they do that. And so you call them up. How much is a book? Uh, $10,000. Okay. And, and, you know, and then now they're, they're writing their very first book ever. So, you know, is that what you want? Some people do. Other people who are, you know, have a reputation to uh, enhance, not just protect, but enhance. They can't, they can't have a crummy book, you know. Uh, they, they, they just can't, they can't afford. You know, I, I once heard a guy say, why pay less? He says that if something is expensive, it means that the marketplace has made a decision that it's worth it. He's a very wealthy guy. And he said, he was in my yoga class 30 years ago, he said, you know, if I see that something's expensive, I know it's worth it most of the time because the markets has said so. So, you know, um, as I said to the prospect this afternoon, there's a reason why people pay me what they pay me. And, you know, I'm not for everybody. I don't need to be for everybody. One of my mentors used to say, sell to the masses, sleep with the classes. Sell to the classes, sleep with the masses. It's a great line. Um, you know, I, bo- I basically sell to the classes. I, I, my, my audience is a high-end audience. Um, but I, you know, I do enough deals that it works out fine and their clients are happy and I'm happy. So, you know, yeah, I mean, plus, I mean, I think that the, uh, the level of work can, you know, speaks for itself, especially not just from the clients that you've gotten to work with, but, you know, being able to go and read those books yourself before you make a decision. And I think that, you know, I think that says, uh, a lot, cause if you're, if you're, if you're looking at spending that much money, I think you, you should be 
taking in some books, you know, taking the time to write, you know, to read some books of the of the people in which you're going to work with uh, and have some conversations and, and see, you know, that it's a good fit, not just by the writing, but, you know, if, if you're vibing with the person, you know, because he's like, why would I, I don't want to talk to someone I don't want to talk to. Like, that's not, that's not, you know, that doesn't make for good, uh, a good experience for the amount of money I'm spending or the book that I potentially might get that, while other people might think it's necessarily good, I might look at it and be like, yeah, this whole experience sucked because I didn't get along with the person very well. Um, you know, or or the other. You'd be like, oh, the book was great, but, like, I didn't enjoy this process. And, I, you know, um, and, and because of that, my perception was that it was more money than I should have spent, even though the book came out good. You know, you just get that bad, you know, once you have a bad taste in your mouth, it, it, it kind of, it, it's like always taints that experience. Like, in your case, with Shark being on Shark Tank, not wanting to watch it, you know? That uh, it's like ah, yeah. I didn't have a great experience because I didn't get the you didn't get a deal at the end of the day, so I don't need to relive it, you know, by rewatching it. But uh, but no, I Michael, this I is, uh, oh, just just to jump in, Joe, what, what you're talking about is really true. This is why why entrepreneurs have to focus on customer experience, and this is why Disney Institute was so helpful for me. I don't mind giving them a shout out. I loved those courses. And I use what they taught me every single day because, you know, um, everybody, this is something I read in a business book when I first started, my accountant gave me this book, you know, when I first started out, um, everybody benchmarks customer experience against Disney uh, subconsciously because Disney provides the the best um, customer experience in the world. And, you know, uh, and and then you get into Disney Institute and you see how they do some of the magic and and you're just like, absolutely dazzled and you could tell me stories i could tell you stories and you know so so the thing is that customers or your clients are not comparing you to other plumbers or other electricians or other ghostwriters or other whatevers they're comparing you to disney are you providing an outstanding customer service experience and if you're not then it doesn't matter how good your product is you know if i were like you know i mean i don't think i'm a jerk you never know if you are but i don't think i am but if I were, uh, nobody would come back and nobody would affirm me, no matter how good the books are. So, you know, it's it's it, it, it's are, I'm glad you're providing a great service or a great product. How's the customer experience? Because if it's lousy, you know, why would anybody come back to you? So it's just it's just, you know, so so for your you know, for the super entrepreneurs in, in this super community, you know, it's like. Focus on customer experience. Don't just think about this whole thing from your point of view. What money are you getting? What are you doing? What are your costs? What's it like to be your customer? You know, have somebody have somebody call into your business and just see, you know, just see what happens if they call in blind or send in an email and how quickly is it responded to? You know, I mean, email drives me crazy. If uh, if we don't respond to an email in a few hours, I'm out of my mind. You know, it's just not OK because uh, it may not be that important to me, but it's important as hell to the person who said it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said it. So. You know, and then and then the most important thing is, can you think of the client and think of the client's need before the client has to feel as though they have to send an email to get your attention? Because if I have to get an if I have if I get an email like that, I'm like, oh, God, I failed. It doesn't matter how good the book is. It's that I, 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 I dropped the ball on customer experience. And um, that's not OK. You know, that's not okay for entrepreneurs. Are you sure people are still interested? I mean, you know, my wife, would nobody would listen to me for this long. Are you serious? This is so bad. Oh, my goodness. I, look, I, I was just right. about to, 
I, look, I wrote the book, Sales Won't Save Your Business, right? Forward by a Disney legend himself, Lee Cockrell, who uh, was one wow, of the yes. I, I know guest. you know who Lee, yes, Lee is. Absolutely. Wow. Look at yes. you. I know, right? Like, I've done a thing or two, you know? But uh, but the but the reality is, right? Like, the reality is, is that sales won't save you. You can have, get the, you're going to get that one-time sale. You're going to get that $30,000. You're going to get that $10,000. And they're not going to refer you anywhere, right? They're not going to come back. They're not going to want to interact and, and tell seven, you know, seven, two people, uh, you know, you tell bad experience, tell seven, you tell two people if you had a great experience. But with a book, you're, you're telling a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, that uh, I, it's so, so, so important. And, that, and I, I take that even one step further uh, in, in my book, you know, not just talking about the customer experience, but the team experience, or what are you doing for the team experience to make sure that the customer experience is also getting taken care of because the team feels like they're being taken care of. And, uh, so it's, it's all like, it all goes into, into, into this book that I wrote back in 2018. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, it, I, 110%. This is, the, I mean, for anybody watching or listening at this point, like you, you're getting it. You're seriously, you're, you, you're getting 110%. Uh, the, the experience, the, Thank you, the lessons, appreciate Michael, appreciate that. I, well, I appreciate you being here and giving us all this time. Um, you know, please head on over to michaellevinwrites.com. And, uh, if you're, if you're thinking about having the, you know, get, having your own book or, or, you know what, you, you promo your own stuff, be your own salesman, Michael. <laughs> I'm so tired. I mean, I'm worn out from uh, this. I'll do my best. I mean, the short of it is that uh, uh, when you're the author, you're the authority. There's nothing that uh, helps you stand out from the crowd. Uh, the Internet is turning everything and everyone into a commodity. Commodities are judged primarily on price. So if you want to really command the premium pricing you deserve for all the years you've put into becoming great at what you do, there's nothing like a book. And I'd like to think that the books I do are uh, pretty good at uh, creating the kind of great results that would lead to 2022 being a year where, uh, as I said, 100% of my business was referrals and repeat clients. So, you know, that, that, that says something. I just, I just realized that and uh, I'm proud of it. And, and if I can be useful to anyone who's watching, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. Oh, are you a foul? It, seriously, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Michael, you are welcome back anytime you want to j just, you know, reach out and we'll, uh, we'll get you back on here. Is there any last thoughts you have before we, uh, wrap up? You know, I got to give a shout out to my son, Walter Levin, because he's the one who, uh, found, you know, who found your video and, uh, and said, yeah, dad, you got to get on this. <laughs> you got to meet this guy. So I just want to say thank you to my son, but above all, Joe, I just want to thank you. You ask penetrating questions, you know, you, you know, business, you certainly know Shark Tank. And, uh, you know, you, you, you brought out the best in me in terms of this. And then, you know, you thank me for my time. I want to thank you for yours. Uh, no one's ever cared to spend this long on an interview. So I want to acknowledge you for that. And I do hope that uh, I do hope that the super community that uh, that watches this found it useful. I'd love to hear from love to hear from anybody. Michael Levin writes at Gmail is uh, is my email and I'll give you my cell. It's uh, it's six one seven five four three. Three seven four seven. I'll say it again. It's six one seven five four three three seven four seven. And I do that because I know that only people who have a really serious reason for calling will, will call. 
and I want to make it easy for you to, to get to me. That is my cell. Uh, operators are not standing by. <laughs> it's don't, just call at, don't call them at midnight, please. I won't take the call. My phone's not in the bed. I'm sorry. Oh, Call that's a good night. ding ding. That's a that's a great way to a great way to be. So anyway, but uh, it's a privilege to be part of your community, Joe. And it was really a privilege to uh, to do this with you. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. Likewise, Michael. It, 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 and you're in North Jersey. So uh, next time I'm up in North Jersey slash New York, I might be up next week in uh, in Manhattan. Um, you know, we got to we got to get together. It gets 10 minutes from George. So the short answer is uh, just let me know when you're up this way. And uh, uh, and because my, my because my beloved uh, Tom Brady's Eagle uh, uh, Buccaneers are not doing Buccaneers. so, I'm just going to say uh, 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 go Eagles. Go because, go, uh, go Eagles! Yes, I uh, I will concur, sir. It it I I have a we have a great team to feel great about, and uh, I'm excited for going to the Super Bowl. I think uh, I think I'll see you there. So I think okay. so. I think so, sir. Uh, and okay. if your name is not Michael Levin, then you click up here to watch Michael Levin's pitch on Shark Tank. If you any other video, uh, <laughs> click down here. It'll be recommended to you. I appreciate you making it all the way to the end of this video uh, in this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure watching uh, you, having you watch us all the way to the end. Take care and go be super.